You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. That was good. Thank you so much. All right. We're glad you're here with us today. If you're visiting, I met at least one person visiting already this service. And I think we had one, one of our volunteers said they met 11 new people last service. So that was just in one service and one section. So let's just stop and give God the glory. We're glad you're here with us. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So as Brett already told you, we are in the second week of a series. We have five other churches joining us in this series. We have Clayton Christian Church, Thrive Church, not to be confused with the next one, Tribe Church, uh, we have uh, Plainfield Christian Church, and the Journey Church. And uh, I've already had a meeting with another pastor trying to get more. We're going to do something similar again next June, and we're just starting to recruit already, and we'd like to see a double or triple maybe next year and get more churches joining us with us, because we just have this idea of a five-year vision of what would happen if churches who all love Jesus partnered together and said, what would it look like for Christians and neighborhoods to join together and just say, we just want to love our neighbors in the same way we love ourselves? And this comes right out of last week's teaching. Jesus is approached by an expert in the law, and he said, of all the hundreds and hundreds of do's and don'ts in the Old Testament, which is the most important? And Jesus says, what do you think? What do you read? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. And we think Jesus meant that literally. So what we've done is we put together a text prompt, a text prompt. We use the same number we always use, 317-565-4911, but the, the word to text is different. So text the word neighbor. I'm starting to wonder if the TV is on. Did we forget to turn the TV on. Let me see here. I, can, I got one of these at home, right? Did that work? Let's see if that works. I'm gonna let somebody smarter than me fix that. So somebody smarter than me fix that. All right, and then uh, I'll keep going and everything should be on the screen for you this morning. But text the word neighbor to 317-565-4911. And here's what we're looking for, two things. Number one, if you have a question you need to troubleshoot, Maybe you're stuck on something and you aren't sure what to do. Like, hey, how do I do this? How do I handle this situation? Reach out. We want to help you. I already had one person do that. Reach out and say, hey, my neighbor's story is this, and I don't know how to handle that. So I'm already working with that person. But the other thing we want, and this is what we really want, is we want to share your story. So if you're loving your neighbor, if you're trying to be active in your community, you're seeing God at work, we would love to celebrate that. In fact, I'll probably ask your permission, the other churches joining us have asked if we can share each other's stories. So I look forward to maybe next week, I'll stand up and tell a story happening at another church of how the Holy Spirit is moving and God is active in their neighborhood and we can celebrate together. So you might become famous in Avon. If you will text the word neighbor to 317-565-4911, you might end up in more than one church next Sunday. So let us know what's going on and we'll celebrate that together. Now, what I wanna do today is I wanna start with a theory, a thesis, if you will, and then I wanna see if we can prove that thesis by the end of our time together. Here is my thesis for this morning. You ready? I have all the time I need. Thank you. He told me the TV worked. Okay, so first of all, let's test and see if you believe this is true. Do you believe that you have all the time you need? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you don't agree with that. But if you agree with this statement, would you raise your hand? I'm just kidding, you don't raise your hand, you're fine. This is a tough one. Because if you're at all like me, it feels like there are not enough hours in the day. Not enough days in the week, not enough weeks in the month, months in the year, or years in a life. I have a bucket list of things I wanna do before my life is over. A lot of times my money doesn't match my bucket list, but time is the other problem. 
I've got big projects, things to do, things I want to accomplish, dreams to get on. I have um, three little boys, 12, 10, and seven. There are never enough hours because I could play with them all day long. I love them. But I have yard work that needs done, a church that needs served, a community that needs Jesus. I love and adore my wife, going to celebrate 22 years here in the next two months. And I love life, but there is never enough hours. There's movies I want to watch and TV shows I want to watch. There's things I want to learn about. There's, if I just had more time. We as a church team started reading a book called Lead by a guy named Paul David Tripp. In each chapter, is just a different issue of like leadership, especially spiritual leadership. And one of them is kind of on this thing called limits, limits. And that gift that God has given us in giving us limits. But limits never feel like a gift. And he told a story about he was asked to come and speak at a men's conference. And uh, at the conference, kind of broke them up at tables. And they were all asked this question. If you could have one superpower, what would your superpower be? And different people talked about, you know, I wish I could talk to animals. Or I wish I had super strength. Or I wish I could fly. And he said, I wish I could make the average week have 10 days. And some of you feel like that, don't you? No matter how hard you try, never seem to have enough time. Notice, I think it's called an ellipsis at the end of the sentence. There is more yet to be said about the sentence, but I will come back to that. I just want to start with the theory. I have all the time I need. The question is, what am I doing with the time that I have? So now let's dig into our text and just see if we can prove that we have all the time we need. And if so, how do we get to that place? Now, as we get into today's text, in Luke chapter 10, if you want to open your Bible, go ahead and get there. I've already told you what happened preceding what we're about to read today, and that's relevant. Realize, when the Bible author is telling something, saying something, if you just go extrapolate that sentence, that verse, that paragraph, out of its original context, you can make it say whatever you want. But in its context, it means more. It's more beautiful, the picture you will see. And in this context, I'm going to show you a famous story about two ladies and how they are kind of pitted against each other a little bit, and they're sisters. There's Mary and there's Martha. Now, Mary and Martha have a famous brother, and his name is Lazarus. If you don't know the Bible story, that's fine. But this is the same Lazarus who got really, really sick, and Mary and Martha sent to Jesus a message, said, you need to get here and hurry up and save Lazarus. He's really sick. I'm afraid he's going to die. And Jesus didn't show up right away, and Lazarus died. And then Jesus showed up and raised Lazarus from the dead. This is that family. It shows us his love and his care for them. It shows us the relationship that he had. And here in Luke 10, I hope I bought you not time if you want to open a Bible to get there, we're going to see that relationship unfold and develop. Here we go. Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they're leaving this conversation with the lawyer. Remember this. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It's her home. We don't know a lot about her family. We don't know if she's married or has kids, but we know she has a sister and a brother, and it seems like we always see him at the house. It's quite possible she's a wealthy person. We don't really understand. There's a lot we don't know. Back in that day, you had usually one of two kinds of homes, either a downstairs or a downstairs and an upstairs. If you were wealthy enough to have both, people would sleep upstairs. They would entertain downstairs. A lot of times the animals, if you had animals, would be brought into the downstairs at night. The top part could often be used as like an inn with many rooms. When it says there 
was no room in the inn for Jesus. Don't think of a hotel room like we think of today. Think of probably an upstairs, probably at a family member's house, and you would use those rooms like a bed and breakfast kind of thing today. Maybe like an Airbnb, you know, like ancient Airbnb, you know, that kind of scenario. So she probably has a two-story house where likely Mary and Martha and Lazarus all live together in one home. I'm a little ADHD. You're just getting a lot of extra stuff for your time today. So moving on, Luke 10, 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And this is critical. This is just a little one of those little side notes I wanna make and someday we'll dig into it deeper. I have a theory that the church, and I don't mean Kingsway, I mean the big C church worldwide, by and large, has told women that you can't serve. That you could do these things, but you can't do these things. Now, I believe with all my heart, God does give some boundaries to some things. But this is one of those powerful texts where we see Jesus blowing up the concepts in his day of what women could do. In his day, it was normal for the men to have a rabbi, a teacher, somebody they followed after and they were being discipled by him. This isn't a role for women. In Jesus' day, the women were to be hospitable to prepare their house, to make the meals so that people could come and be fed or cared for or whatever it was. That was their role. But here we see Mary and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. Do you know who else is sitting around him in this context? The disciples. And we don't know how many are there. We aren't told in the story. But Jesus is teaching them while Martha is getting everything ready. And Jesus doesn't have a problem with Mary being in this environment. Let's keep reading. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her, that lazy sister, I'm adding that part, to help me. Do any of you have a lazy sibling? Do not raise your hand. Don't do that unless they're not here. Then I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know what this is like if you have a sibling, whether you're the super busy one or they're the super busy one. I have three little boys, as I told you, and if I'm asking them to do anything, they are hyper aware of what the other brothers are not doing. They are very aware. I've done all of this. They've not done anything. They're over there doing this. I'm doing this. Look at me. I'm doing all the work. Why aren't they doing more? That's... Not, say it with me, fair. One of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, says, here's a little trick, you ready? Fairness ended in the garden. All right, so fair is not something that we see in this world very often, but this actually isn't about fair. The way this reads in the Greek is not just that Martha is super stressed about getting everything done. She is actually anxious about it. The Greek word here actually has the implications of an ongoing anxiety about performance. That's as if Martha is more concerned about what everybody thinks of her than she is with pleasing the Lord. And there's much, much, much to be said here, but I don't want that point to be missed on us. Remember, Jesus just literally walked away from a conversation where he told a guy, the two greatest things that you need to do is love God and love others. Well, isn't she loving others? Let's keep going. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. 
You are worried and upset about many things. Really? Have you ever just happened to have, I mean, we don't know how many disciples are there, but Jesus had 12 close disciples. There's something like 70 to 100 bigger group of disciples. Let's just say the 12. Let's just be generous and say half of them are there that day, maybe not all of them. Okay, so have you ever been having seven people coming to your house? When you know people are coming to your house, if somebody came up to you after church today and said, hey, I'd like to come to your house and do lunch today, you might say, hey, um, the governor's opened things up. Why don't we go out to eat, right? Like, if you're at all like me and you have three kids, your house is not always show ready, right? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, depending on what we did yesterday or this morning or whatever it might be. So you might be stressed out about all the things that have to get done. And this is what Jesus is trying to deal with in Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. You're so stressed. You're so anxious. You're trying to live up to a standard, live up to an expectation that somebody else, somewhere else has placed on you, whether they actually have or haven't. But what expectation has Jesus placed on her? Look at verse 42. But few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will be not taken away from her. What exactly does this mean? Well, okay, first of all, uh, if you stay at Kingsway for any length of time, my goal, my job, I feel like one day I'll go to Jesus, I'll say, I, I did the best I could to accomplish this one goal. My one goal is to do my best to help you think through the scriptures. But if you really wanna think through the scriptures, you have to meditate on them. You have to think about them. You have to wrestle with what Jesus says. Figure out how do I apply what Jesus is saying in this story, in this context. <clears throat> and just as you nail something down, you might find the Holy Spirit leads you to wrestle with the thing you had thought you had nailed down so that you can continue to have what God really desires with you, and that is a relationship. God is real. Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is real. So while God the Father sent his one and only son down to earth to walk among us, when Jesus died on the cross, he went back up to heaven to reign in heaven over the creation next to the hand of the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside all of us who would surrender our lives to him. So now God is in us, and that is how he develops a relationship with us. That's what we were singing about in that last song. He's in us. It says in the song, in our chest, I guess technically we can't locate God to this area of our body. The point is, he is in you and he wants to know you. And have you ever noticed that relationships are really stinking hard? Have you ever noticed that relationships only happen with time spent? Have you ever noticed that the only way things get better when you have tension is not to avoid each other, it's not to pull away from each other, it's not to ignore each other, it's actually to draw near and talk and discuss and work it out? That's exactly the kind of relationship that God wants with you. He wants to be active in your life. He wants you thinking about chewing on, wrestling with what he has said and trying to work it out with him. And how do I make this fit in my life? And how do I work this thing through? And that's what he's trying to get through to Mary. Mary, you are so busy doing that you don't have time to sit and be with me, to hear from me, to listen to me. One commentator from like back in the early 1900s, one commentator suggested that maybe when Jesus says only a few things are needed, indeed only one, that maybe what Jesus meant, and we don't know, I just wanna be clear, we don't know, that maybe though what Jesus meant is, Mary, we don't need an elaborate meal. 
We only need a few things. In fact, we really only need one thing. We could eat lamb. We could eat bread. We could eat soup, whatever, you, just one thing. But you want to make this elaborate presentation that's preventing you from getting done the thing that really needs done, being with me. Let that sink in for a second. And then Jesus looks at Mary and he's like, I'm not going to take that away from her. She gets it. In the book, The Art of Neighboring, which I said you need to read, it's where this whole series came from. Jay and Dave, the two authors, two local pastors in, not local here, Denver, Colorado area, they say this, Jesus got a lot done, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. He lived a passionate, purposeful life, but he was never in a rush. The question for us then is, How can we live like Jesus? And the answer is we must learn how to keep the main thing, the main thing. Have you ever seen that analogy? I almost showed a video, but I didn't want to give up five minutes of my message time for it. Have you ever seen that video though, where they've got like the little rocks, then they've got the sand, then they've got the big rocks, then they've got the water, and they've got this big jar. And they're like, how do you fit all these things into the jar? And so you pour the water in first, then you pour the sand in, then you pour the little rocks in, and then you got to fit the big jar, the big rocks in without everything spilling out. And the answer is you can't do it. As soon as you do it, everything spills out. The only way that it works is you got to put the big rocks in first, then the medium-sized rock, then the sand, and then pour the water in, and you can actually make it work. You can find this video. There's tons of versions of it all over YouTube if you're curious to go look it up later. And that's essentially what Jesus is trying to get to. But my theory is every time you watch this video, the water level ends up right at the top. And we still love this analogy because it makes us think if we just organize everything the right way, we can still live our lives with no margin, pushing everything to the edge to where everything's just about to spill out. Just nobody move. Nobody do anything extra or different. But life doesn't work like that. Your car breaks down. People break bones. You come back tired from vacation. Somebody spills something and you gotta do extra laundry. Life never works like that, but we live our lives as if we can live right to the edge and hope nothing goes wrong. I've said this so many times, but if you give me a cup of coffee, if you give me that much room for milk or that much room for milk, I'm gonna always fill it to the top. And sometimes I'll be sticking cold coffee with milk in the microwave to heat it back up because I put too much milk in it. And I always do this. And I, every morning, even though I use this illustration all the time, because we live our lives to the brink of breaking all the time. But what if the edge, what if the top, what if that limit was actually a gift from God intended to help us think and meditate and process how to do life differently? Let me go ahead and fill in the ellipsis now. I have all the time I need to do everything God has planned for me to do. Do you believe that's true? This is a hard one. But if this is true, and I don't have enough time right now, excuse me, That means I'm trying to do some things that God didn't plan for me to do. Do you see the way that works? I spent about two and a half years in counseling early in my marriage from around 2002 to 2004, give or take. And I joke all the time. 
this is not serious, but it's totally serious. It took me two and a half years and $10,000 to learn how to say no. And I wish I could say that wasn't totally true, but it is very, very, very true. Because I lived my life on the edge and I still struggle with it. I go back to it all the time. The Bible says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a man to his sin or to his folly. And I would say, that's, you know, isn't that a wonderful analogy? Welcome to Kingsway. Aren't you glad you came today? But that's my life. I struggle to embrace this truth. And because of that, I overcommit. I oversay yes. I leave myself and sometimes others around me wishing they had more of me because I just don't know how to say no to the things God didn't call me to do. So I could say yes to the things God did call me to do. Are you with me? So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, let me just ask this very clarifying question. Are you loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I'm not answering that for you. You're answering it. Is your relationship with God getting better and stronger? Are you more convinced of his love over you? Are you hearing his voice? I know that may feel weird to say, you want me to hear voices? No, just one voice. And you can ask the question, be a great sermon sometime. How do I discern the voice of God? Well, there's this little trick that I've come up with. I don't even know if it's completely accurate or not, but it goes like this. You can often discern the voice of God, number one, if it, Fulfill scripture, like if God is quoting scripture to you, that's a good way to discern. But not always, because Satan knows scripture really well, and he'll try to twist it on you. So another way you could discern the voice of God is if the voice sounds encouraging rather than condemning, it's probably the voice of God. So the voice sounds something like, you stupid, you idiot, I can't believe you would do that again. What is wrong with you? That is probably not the voice of a good, godly, heavenly father who loves you. That is probably the voice of your childhood or perhaps your parents growing up or perhaps your own shame or sin or the voice of Satan himself trying to distract you. But if it sounds like a good father saying, I love you, I care about you, come on, we got this. We are told throughout the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that while it was still early in the morning before everybody else had woken up, Jesus would often get up. It was his normal practice to do that, to go be with the father. So we could tune into the father's voice and hear God's marching orders for the day. And then we see it throughout his ministry, whether he's meeting a sinful woman, nobody would talk to at a well, or whether he's running into Matthew, the tax collector to call him to follow after him, or Zacchaeus and saying, we're going to your house to eat today. Whatever it is, Jesus is a man on a mission. He has has no problem accepting the fact that he is limited by what God calls him to do that day. And he knows it because he's with the Father. You could even say before he chose the 12 disciples, he stayed up all night fasting and praying and seeking the Lord's face. Then he got up the next day and went down and he chose the 12, came down off the mountain and chose them because he'd been up listening to the Father. And there may be times or seasons where you gotta stay up and lose some sleep to be with God but it's learning to listen to his voice so that he can direct your steps so that he could say, don't do this and do this. But the reason most of us don't is because we're so busy living out of somebody else's expectation for us. So we don't know how to live out of God's expectation for us. And I'll just throw this last thing out here before I prove it to you. I am convinced with all my heart this is true. I'm convinced in my head. 
but my heart still struggles with it because I just want to squeeze out just a little bit more of what life has to offer. That being said, I often have to die to myself, to what I wanted, what I thought was best, so that I could do what God has planned for me to do. And the only way this works is if God is in control of my life. And if God is in control of my life, then everything's gonna work out according to his good plan. And it'll be okay. Now let me show it to you in a story. This goes back a couple chapters in the book of Luke. Jesus has gotten off a boat, he's arrived in a town and something is about to happen. And I wanna read the story, then I'll stop at a couple points just so that we're all together in what is happening. Luke chapter eight, verse 40 says this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. They knew he was gonna come to this town. Verse 41, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, before we go on, just so you get the picture, Jesus arrives, everybody's waiting for him. We're gonna see this more in just a moment. The crowd, it says, is pressing in on him so much so that it is nearly crushing him. That is a serious crowd. Some of y'all will be like, I cannot do this. Jesus is trying to make his way through a crowd, and Jairus, a synagogue, is the local Jewish temple, and he's a synagogue leader. This is where the Hebrew people would have gone to worship. Jesus should have felt special affinity for this very important person. He should have cleared his whole schedule. This should have been top priority. Not only that, but it's his 12-year-old daughter. I mean, come on. What's more important than this very important person's 12-year-old daughter who's dying? There's the context. Look at the rest of the next verse. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could help her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. So again, this, I don't want to make this, this text about her story today, but she's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent every dime she has on every doctor she could find, and no one could give her any healing. The crowds are crushing Jesus. The disciples are trying to make a path. He's trying to go with Jairus to his house to heal the 12-year-old daughter, and this girl somehow makes her way through the crowd and reaches out and just touches the hem of his garment, just barely, and Jesus stops everybody. And he starts looking around at the crowd. And he says in verse 45, who touched me? And when they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, Jesus, everybody touched you. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Peter wants to put out the voice of God in Jesus' life. Are you with me? Sometimes well-intentioned people will try to squelch the voice of God in your life telling you what you thought you heard from God is not what you thought you heard from God. Now, that'll take you a lifetime to wrestle with. But verse 46, Jesus said, someone touched me. I know because the power had gone out from me. Apparently, Jesus is so tuned in to the Holy Spirit's activity in him that when somebody even tries to abuse the presence, manipulate the presence of Jesus by taking advantage of him without him actually doing anything, where God would get the glory, Jesus still knows about it. And the woman is healed immediately. And she just wanted to shrink back in awe and not talk about it. Quite possibly, she was ashamed. 
Whatever exactly her issue was, she's been bleeding everywhere for 12 years. It's been a mess. Nobody wanted to bring her into their house. She's become an outcast. She's constantly unclean. She can't go into the temple to worship because she was literally considered unclean by those hundreds and hundreds of laws that are in the Old Testament. She wasn't welcome anymore. She is literally, for lack of any better phrase, an outcast in the community. She just wanted a piece of Jesus and be out of the way. And Jesus said, no, we're not going to do this like that. I want to know who touched me, and I'm not moving forward. And somebody in the crowd should have said, but Jairus' daughter is dying. You don't have time for this. Can't we get over there and do that and then come back and do this? And it's as if Jesus says, we have all the time in the world to do everything that God has planned for us to do. It's going to be okay. Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And the presence of all the people, I love that phrase because look, if you're not sure if you believe these stories are just made up, in that day, to write down this story, and I got a guy coming in about a month and he's gonna talk to us about these concepts, but let me just drop the concept on you. These books were written within a few decades of the life of Jesus. This would be like your grandma telling you a story, I was there that day. It was crazy. I was trying to get close enough to see and to hear and to touch Jesus, and I didn't. All of a sudden, everybody stopped, and we're like, what's going on? There's Jairus, and some people are here freaking out, and all of a sudden, Jesus is calling out this woman, and she just starts crying and trembling and lay sitting at his feet, and man, I saw it. I knew her. She's the woman. I, I stopped having her over to the house because she came over. She bled on everything. It was gross, and I didn't have any way to clean it up, and then we were unclean, and we couldn't even go to temple that day. Do you remember that? And she could tell the story, and somebody could show up and say, now, Luke wrote in his book that this happened 30 years ago. I was there that day. It absolutely happened. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. But Jesus, there's a 12-year-old girl that's dying. I know. But as Dave and Jay said in The Art of Neighboring, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. If you ever sense the voice of God telling you, hey, go, and, go call your parents and check in on them. Hey, why don't you go invest in this neighbor? You know what you really need? You need to not work this weekend and spend time with your kids. I mean, this is, this is extra for this service, so I apologize that I didn't say this in the other service. I just listened to a heart-wrenching podcast yesterday by a pastor who's in his 80s now. I think he's 84. And uh, he wrote a book. Oh, it's just so good. The podcast is so good. Maybe I'll share it on Facebook later. I don't know. The podcast is so good. But he said this. He said there was this time he was stressed because he'd been serving God all week in his job way back, like I think his 40s, about my age. And he didn't have any time to write a sermon. It was Saturday morning, I think he said, and he woke up and he said to his wife, I gotta go to the church and write my sermon and I have no idea what I'm gonna say, pray for me. And his wife just stopped and looked at him and she said, you have not seen your kids in weeks. And he said, right at that exact same moment, his kids came down the stairs and it just broke him. He literally went in the other room and he just started crying. 
He said his wife just came in and held him and he wept for four hours until he had no tears left to weep. And he decided to get up at that moment. He went, literally drove to the store and bought a journal and came home and just wrote down every thought that was in his head. And what God had begun to speak to him is that he was giving himself to everything else. But he wasn't necessarily keeping the main things the main things. So there's a tension in here. I'm challenging you to love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. But I'm telling you, you will not be able to add that into your schedule without everything else spilling over. Something is going to have to back off. And it might be entertainment. It might be a club or a sport that your kids are active in. It might be, I don't even know, it might be getting your work under control. But what I know is this, why is it every time I meet a godly, mature man in the faith, they tell me, you know the one thing I don't wish I did more of? I don't wish I worked more. I don't wish I'd had the bigger houses. I don't wish I had the nicer cars. I don't wish I had the nicer clothes and vacations. Do you know what I wish I had more of? I wish I had more time doing the things of God with the people of God. Every single person I know who's older tells me that. I don't know a single person on their deathbed who says, I'm so glad I accumulated hundreds of thousands of dollars to leave behind, but never took the time to enjoy it with the people that God surrounded me with. And I'm sharing this with you because I don't want that to be your story. In Luke 8, 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And then in verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, remember the crowds are pressing in. It doesn't say this, but I imagine Jesus reaching out and touching his shoulder so that they could make eye contact. And he says to him, don't be afraid. Just believe she will be healed. And as the story goes on, he goes to Jairus' house, grabs a few of his disciples, kicks everybody else out because nobody else believed that God could do everything that God said he would do and the limits that were given him. And he prayed over this young girl and she got up from the bed. And they went down and everybody was amazed. But see, all the doubters had to be kicked out of the room. And the power of the story is you have all the time you need to do everything that God has planned for you to do even when it seems impossible. The question is always not, do you have enough time, but do you trust God to make good on his promises? Do you trust that God desires for you to rest? Do you trust that God desires for you to enjoy life? Do you trust that God has given you a mission and a purpose? If so, then there is enough time for all of them. It might just mean getting into a relationship with God where he can direct your steps. He can tell you where to go and he can tell you how to get there. And I love in the book, Jay and Dave come to this conclusion. And I think this is a good conclusion for us today. I am learning that there are people right around me that have incredible things to share with me and others. It's like I have been living next door to a gold mine, but I was too busy to know there was gold right next door. What if the best friend you've never met is actually next door? What if the best business partner you've ever waited to have is right next door? What if there's an older couple who's estranged from their children and they're just waiting for you to show up next door? What if there's an older couple like in our story and we were going through a hard season and they were able to come over and help with our yard but it's waiting for you next door? What if there's somebody who's currently lost and separated eternally from Jesus Christ and they're just waiting for you to go next door? We don't know. 
because we're too busy. All right, so I'm gonna close with this. First, to those who call Kingsway home. Look, if you're watching at home online, I wanna encourage you, you can actually go to our website, kingswaychurch.org, and we have a special place set up for the yard and neighboring. It's a special page on our website. You can go there and find all of these content, things I'm handing out in person. You can go there. You can find last week's block map, and you can find this. So if you're in the room, we have these at our Connect Hub, the hub right outside these doors. And on one side, it's got like some do's and don'ts. Like here, like do these things, pray, seek the Lord. Here's some don't things, like don't make your neighbors a project. That's not the goal. The goal is to love them the way you love yourself. And then on the back side are some practical ideas. You could, you know, move your play from the backyard to the front yard. You could visit your local pools and parks. You could, if you're gonna watch a football game this fall, I hear football season's coming, you could invite them over to watch it. If you're somebody who likes baseball, I don't know why, but you could invite somebody over. I'm just kidding, I like baseball when my team makes it the World Series. And um, you could watch the, the game with somebody. But there's just some suggestions on ways you could start to build a relationship. Remember this, this is a five-year vision. That doesn't mean sit back for the next four and a half years. It means don't expect that in the next week, everything's gonna change. It's gonna begin with a change in us that moves us to seek the face of the Lord and hear his steps directing us. Now, the last thing I wanna say, if you're visiting with us today or maybe you're watching at home online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I have told you he wants a relationship with you and maybe you have no idea what that looks like or feels like. You have no idea how to hear the voice of God. I just wanna invite you in. The longer you sit on the outside wondering but never stepping into it, the longer you go without actually connecting with him. Every relationship is about connection. So don't go another week. I don't have all the answers, but God has made some things very clear in his word. He loves you. And the way he proved that was by sending his son to die on a cross. And you may say, what in the world does a man dying on a cross have to do with God's love for me? Well, God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In Jesus, he gave us the life that we desperately needed. And in doing so, he showed us that he loves us. And there's more to that story we would love to explain to you. So you can text the word connect any day, anytime to 317-565-4911. We will talk to you about having a relationship with God. You don't even have to follow up on that. You can just be curious and reach out and ask us. And we can just start a conversation with you. But what I wanna do is pray and ask the Lord right here, right now to speak. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us enough to speak. God, this message is extremely difficult for me, as you know, because I like having things to do all the time. And sometimes, God, if I'm just being honest, I can be tremendously selfish with my time and energy, and I don't want that to be the story, God. I want to take up my cross daily and live my life for you the way you're calling me to live it. I don't wanna to live to please anybody else anywhere else. I don't wanna do what I think anybody else wants me to do. I just wanna be faithful and obedient to you in every way. And God, as I'm praying that prayer, I pray for all those who are saying that along with me. God, help us to hear from you and then to act boldly and courageously as you are calling us to live. Grow our unbelief. In those areas where we doubt that we really have all the time we need to do all that you have planned for us, God, help us in our unbelief. Give us faith that even the most impossible of situations can be conquered by you. And God, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus, all God's people say.